Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we love your word. We treasure your word. We desire that our lives be marked by your word. And so, Father, as we open your word now, I pray that you would meet us in your word, that you would speak to us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would apply your word in our lives, that our lives would reflect your word, and that we would become more and more like Jesus by following it in his name. Amen. Well, we have been uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount lately, Matthew chapter 5, and for the past few weeks, we've been in a section of the Sermon on the Mount known as the Antitheses, uh, places where Jesus takes on the conventional wisdom of his day and says things like, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you. And so he contradicts uh, the contemporary wisdom of the day. The first of these had to do with anger. People understood that murder is wrong, but they failed to see how wrong it is to have intentions of the heart that would be murderous if they had the chance. Jesus showed us how much relationships matter. Next one we dealt with had to do with lust. People understood that adultery was wrong, but they failed to see that Whatever it is that leads you to sin, however valuable it may be to you, is simply not worth having. If it leads you to sin, get rid of it. The next one we looked at had to do with divorce, and people understood how to regulate divorce. But what they failed to understand was God's design for marriage. They didn't see that God designed marriage not just to make us happy, but to make us holy. God uses marriage to sanctify us, to change us, to make us more like Christ. And so today we come to the fourth of these six antitheses. And this one has to do with oaths. Oaths. Jesus quotes the conventional wisdom of the day that says you shouldn't swear an oath falsely. But he goes on to say, you shouldn't need to swear at all. So is it okay to take an oath? Is it okay to take an oath? If you're called upon to testify in court and you get up on the witness stand and they put a Bible in front of you and ask you to put your left hand in the Bible, raise your right hand and swear that everything you're about to say is the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God, should you refuse to do that? It's not a question we have to deal with a whole lot in our day. We aren't called to testify in court very often, but when we're called upon to do that, should we go through that? We'll deal with that a little bit today. There's a whole lot more, though, to the issue than whether or not we should swear an oath in court, as Jesus addresses the issue here in Matthew chapter 5. The greater question is this, are we... People of such unquestioned authority, I'm I'm sorry, not authority, but integrity, that we don't need to swear an oath at all. Is our integrity that good? When we go in to see a doctor, we generally bring what a doctor will call a presenting issue, 
right? We've got something that's gone haywire with our body. Uh, we want our doctor to have a look at it. And uh, the doctor will recognize that the issue you're bringing is significant, but he's going to try to look deeper, right? He's going to look beyond the presenting issue to deeper issues that are creating the symptoms that brought you in. And so today we're going to look at this presenting issue. Can I swear an oath? Should I swear an oath? But then at the deeper issue of our personal integrity that Jesus addresses here in this passage. So let me deal with the presenting issue first. That is the question of swearing oaths. An oath is a promise that invokes God as our witness that we will be truthful in what we're saying. An oath is a promise that invokes God as a witness to the truthfulness of what we are saying. So what do we do if we're asked to swear an oath in court or to take an oath of office? Should we refuse? There are certain religious groups that have taken Jesus' words here very literally, although I notice they all seem to have two eyes and two hands. Just saying. They refuse to swear an oath in court on the witness stand, but they are overlooking at that same time some places in the Bible where oaths have been made. Let me mention a few. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, where Paul is speaking, and he says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to you at Corinth. I call God as my witness. He, he is invoking God. He is swearing an oath before God. Or he does something similar in Galatians chapter 1, verse 20, where he says, In what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. I, I swear to you, before God, that I'm not lying, what I'm saying here. In Matthew chapter 26, uh, it, it says uh, the, the high priest asked Jesus to make one. Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you've said so. In other words, yep, I am. I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus submitted to that. Or, in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 to 18, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. God the Father did it, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. There are places in Scripture where oaths are taken. And so the presenting issue of whether or not we should resist when we are asked to swear an oath in court, you're going to need to answer for yourself. But I do believe you're not violating biblical principle if you go ahead and do it. I think these passages show us that it's acceptable to do it. 
Jesus points us, though, to a much deeper issue. And the deeper issue is personal integrity. Are we people of integrity so that we don't need to take an oath? People in Jesus' day were swearing oaths all the time in the course of regular conversation. We see it around us frequently, particularly when we're talking with some of our unsaved friends, right? Uh, they, they kind of punctuate their stories with oaths. They'll tell you about the fish they caught that you haven't seen, by the way, or the one that got away that they just barely saw, and they'll tell you what a whopper it was, and then at the end of their story, they'll say what? Swear to God, right? Kind of punctuate their sentences with that. And, and Jesus tells us we need to be people of such integrity that we never need to say that. We never need to try to uh, uh, accentuate what it is we're saying that people will simply believe us because we are people of integrity, followers of Christ. So personally, and apart from special occasions like testifying in court or taking an oath of office, we should never need to make one. Our words should be that good. We need to be people of integrity. I believe that's the greater point Jesus is getting at here in this passage. It's not that people were at odds with God's word when they talked about uh, not swearing falsely. That conventional wisdom of Jesus' day was, uh, was based on Scripture. And the passages they used were quoted accurately. They weren't taken out of context. We should follow through on the things we say we're going to do. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12 is one of those passages you'll probably find cross-referenced in your Bible at this point. It says this, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Numbers chapter 30, verse 2, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Do it. Follow through. Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So the foundation is good. They're citing passages correctly. Now, there was something common, though, to all of those passages dealing with those, and it was their connection to the name of the Lord. Now, when a vow involved the name of the Lord, it was considered binding. You had to follow through. And so what they did was they constructed elaborate rules for how to make a vow and leave the name of the Lord out of it so you really didn't have to follow through. You could swear falsely and get away with it. And Jesus takes on those rules in a passage we, we read earlier, Matthew chapter 23, verses 16 to 22. 
where he takes on the Pharisees. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. Little technicality there. I, you know, I didn't swear by the gold of the temple. I just swore by the temple. So I, I can kind of maneuver my way out of this. And Jesus says, you blind fools, uh, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You can't use these technicalities to wiggle your way out of something you have sworn to do. You see, rather than being careful to carry out what they vowed, people became careful to construct their vows in such a way that they didn't directly involve the name of the Lord. So technically, they could say they hadn't sworn by him. So... If I were to try to follow that wisdom, and, and if I were trying to swindle you, I might say, I call heaven as my witness that I'll pay you back when I'm able. Should you loan me money? Probably not, because I didn't invoke God's name in that oath. Hmm? Or I swear by the promised land that I won't raise my price. Am I going to raise my price? Probably. Why? Because I didn't invoke the name of the Lord. Or by the holy city, I promise I won't tell a soul. Will you tell me your secret? Probably would be wise not to. By the hairs on my head, I tell you this camel was only driven by little old lady on Sundays. Would you buy my camel? You'd better not. According to common custom, I could break any one of those vows because none of them actually contained the name of the Lord. As long as you didn't profane the actual name of God, there was no need for you to regard your oath as binding. And by the time of Jesus, evading the name of the Lord in an oath had been brought to a fine art. If you were clever... You could mislead someone into thinking you were making a binding oath when you had no intention of following through. And Jesus' response to this idea shows the fact of the matter is you can't avoid bringing God into any oath you make because he's connected to all of it. Look at verses 34 to 36 again. I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You want to swear by heaven and think you can get away with it? No, no, no. That's God's throne. Swear by earth, it's his footstool. Swear by Jerusalem? Nope, that's his city. Swear by your own head? You can't even control the color of your hair. At least you couldn't back then. 
Still, still can't control the color of your roots, right? He controls it. He has involvement, direct involvement in all of those things. You can't leave him out even if you try. Now, I haven't heard anybody swear by Jerusalem lately, but we are all tempted to misrepresent the truth. And we all need to be on our guard. Each time we fall into this temptation to misrepresent the truth, we undermine our credibility just a little bit more. Can you think of some ways that we are tempted to misrepresent the truth? I can think of a few. One is uh, by exaggeration. Are you ever tempted to embellish a good story to make it a great story? How big was that fish you caught? I learned from an old fisherman that the uh, size that, that counts is measured between the ends of your thumbs. It's a pretty good little trick. It was this big. How much effort did you put in on that assignment? Did you really clean your room? What about your own personal testimony? We hear amazing testimonies, and we kind of wish we had an amazing testimony, but our testimony's pretty vanilla. Are you ever inclined to try to embellish it? Jesus teaches us the people of integrity don't exaggerate. Another way I think we're tempted to misrepresent the truth is by over-promising. We mean well, we want to do well, but sometimes we overpromise and underdeliver. Contractors tend to do this a fair amount. They, they don't mean to tell you they're not going to make your deadline, but if they don't tell you they'll make your deadline, you'll find another contractor, right? So they take and add you to their overloaded schedule and promise you a date that they know they can't deliver on. Or when someone shares a need with you and you say, I'll pray for you. Do we sometimes overpromise and underdeliver? Do you have a system in place that's going to help you remember to pray for that person? I always jot it down so that I remember to pray for that person so it's not just a cliche. When I say I'll pray for you, I, I really want to follow through. And you know what I do just to kind of make sure? I say, let me give you a down payment right now. Uh, let me pray for you right now. And just grab that person and, and have a word of prayer right then with them. Because people of integrity don't overpromise. Another way that we're tempted to misrepresent the truth is, is by looking for loopholes. There was a church that I was interviewing with when I was finishing seminary, and at that time I was a chaplain in the National Guard, and I intended to continue on with my duties with the National Guard. And somebody on the interview committee said, well, if, if the unit gets called up, you'll be able to get out of it, won't you? I said, no, that's the point. When duty calls, you go. You don't look for loopholes. 
Jesus says the people of integrity don't look for loopholes. Another way that we are tempted to misrepresent the truth is by telling a partial truth. It's not technically lying. We're just intentionally leaving a few details out. You know what that's called, don't you? Lying. That's why in court they ask you to swear you will tell the whole truth, not just partial truth. We are tempted daily to tell only partial truth. So maybe you leave a couple of details out when your mom asks you about the fight you just had with your brother. You sort of fail to tell him about the part where you provoked him. Or how it was that lamp got broken. A couple details you might leave out. I've seen bars named the library or the office. Pretty clever. I'm still at the office, honey. It'll be another hour or so, I think. People of integrity don't tell partial truths. Jesus says we need to be people of integrity. Look at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Literally what he's saying here is let your word be yes, yes, no, no. Let your word be yes, yes, no, no. You ready for a little Greek? This is my friend Ulysses. He's a little Greek. And so now you know a little Greek, right? So kids, this is, this is for you. This is what Jesus said uh, looks like in Greek. It was, next slide, nai, nai, ooh, ooh. Literally, uh, let your word be yes, yes, no, no, nai, nai, ooh, ooh. Let's say it together. Kids, you'll enjoy this, right? Nai, nai, ooh, ooh. It's, it's great. So just be that straightforward. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Had an army buddy named Harry who was maybe the most honest person I have ever met. Harry was maybe just a little bit socially awkward, but he was just so delightfully honest. He said to me once, I meant to call you, but I just didn't do it. Guess I could have if I really wanted to. I really didn't try all that hard. That was Harry. Didn't he know he could just say, I've been really busy like everybody does? And Harry was just a man of simple integrity who had decided to just tell the truth, straight, plain, simple. And I always appreciated Harry for that. Jesus said we should be people of such unquestioned integrity that people should never doubt that what we say is what we mean. When he said don't swear at all, he wasn't just saying you should refuse to swear in court that you'll tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He was saying that our integrity as followers of him should speak so loudly that no one should ever doubt the truthfulness of what we say. According to legend, there was a man named Diogenes who walked the streets of Athens in broad daylight with a lighted lantern in his hand. 
And when someone would ask him what he was doing, he would hold the lantern up to their face and look them in the eye and say, I'm looking for an honest man. He kind of looked them over and then just keep walking, looking somewhere for an honest man. I think he was on to something. I think we could do that to one another because we're all guilty from time to time of misrepresenting the truth in one way or another, from the words we say to the clothes we wear. Some of us more seriously than others, but we're all guilty from time to time. Why are we inclined to do that? It's because we've got this problem called sin. Truth is, we aren't as perfect as we want people to think we are. We're flawed. And it goes deeper than the presenting issues that we wish weren't showing up. So we fudge. We cover up. We try to make ourselves look better than we are. And we misrepresent the truth in doing that. And the answer is to be found in the grace of God. We're not near as good as we make ourselves out to be. We do disappoint others. We disappoint ourselves. And what we need is grace. God's grace meets us right where we are. Sinful, broken people that we are. The truth is, we weren't worth saving when God reached out to save us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. And so we don't need to, be, to pretend to be anything different than what we are. Sinners saved by the grace of God. He didn't reach out to us because we were worthy. He reached out to us because we were needy and couldn't fix our own problem. So in my gratitude for the grace of God that reached out to me, I can be transparent and admit that I was a mess when Jesus found me. And that I'm still a work in progress. And if I fall, as much as I hate to fall, I don't need to cover it up. God's grace still reaches me. That's the wonder of God's grace. And I can share my struggle with a brother and find help to overcome it. Grace is what allows us to be people of integrity. We know what we want to be. We want to be like Jesus. But we also know that we're not there yet. And we can be honest about that, and we can help each other to become more like Jesus as he changes us from the inside out. We don't perform our way into his favor. He reaches us with his grace and changes us from the inside out. Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. May we be people of greater integrity, greater transparency, because of God's grace in our lives. And may the glory go to him. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the grace that reached out to us while we were still sinners. Thank you that you didn't wait for us to get it together. You'd be waiting still. Thank you, Father, that your grace, though, loves us enough not to leave us where we were when you found us, but to transform us from the inside out. So let us, Lord, surrender more and more of our heart to you daily and see the victory that you win through us in conforming us more and more to the likeness of your dear Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.